Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Russian President Vladimir Putin called the U.S. dollar's drop in dominance, quote, objective and irreversible during the recent BRICS summit in South Africa as Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa formally agreed to use local currencies instead of the U.S. dollar. It's the first shoe to drop. As demand for the dollar weakens, the buying power of the dollar also weakens. That's why Birch Gold Group is busier than ever. Investors and savers are looking to harness the power of physical gold held in a tax-sheltered IRA. Text Monica to 989-898 for your free info kit on gold. Thousands of happy customers, an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, and countless five-star reviews, you can count on Birch Gold to help you navigate transitioning an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold. As the U.S. dollar continues to receive pressure from foreign countries, digital currency, and central banks, arm yourself with information on how to protect your savings. Just text MONICA to 989-898 to claim your free info kit from Birch Gold Group right now. Hey guys, I'm Monica Crowley, and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thanks so much for being with me here on this Monday as we kick off a brand new week. This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and happy warriors. Check me out on social media on Instagram at Monica Crowley underscore for news about this show and photos and all kinds of fun stuff. Plus on Twitter and Truth Social, I'm at Monica Crowley. You can also send me an email about this show. Let me know what's on your mind. The email address is Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. That's Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. Send me an email. Let me know what you're thinking, and I just might read yours on this show. We're going to get to them at the end of the show, as we always do. All right, today I want to talk about the cost of living crisis that has been deliberately set upon us by the leftists now leading our country, and frankly, the entire West. With the exception of Hungary, which is led by an actual leader who is serious about maintaining his country's strength vitality, and character, Viktor Orban. The globalists hate him for it, the way they hated Trump, which tells you he's doing the exact right thing by his nation. Our leaders and the leaders across the West are deliberately destroying our economies and our way of life. It's a way to destroy our freedom. If you don't have economic freedom, you have nothing. Look at China. They got marginal marginal economic freedom, actually not that that much at all. I mean, they've got a hybrid economy, but 
if they take away economic freedom, if they take away your freedom to choose among products and services and where to spend your money, then they have you. You no longer have freedom. You are a slave. You are a serf. And that is the objective. This is not unique to the United States, but we are the biggest of them all. So they know if they knock us over, they win. They have the West and thus the world. So today I really want to take this apart. And in a little while, we're going to be joined by the phenomenal James Melville from the UK. He is a fascinating guy because he is a self-described liberal who is now wide awake to the threats posed by the globalists, the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab and the Schwabies, Bill Gates, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, George Soros, all of the dark forces destroying our freedoms. James Melville is on the front lines in the UK, and he is going to be here with us to give us a full report, because what is happening there is coming here. In fact, it's already here, but the Europeans are well advanced down this road of globalism with the UK, the loss of sovereignty, uh, the, the embrace of multiculturalism, which is a euphemism for destroying their cultures by bringing in other cultures, illegal immigrants across the board as their labor forces. They are, they're a couple of years ahead of us here, but also their revolt against this is a couple of years ahead of us. Everything is on such a compressed time schedule now in terms of the acceleration of the global reset and then the backlash against it with farmers and truckers and so on, that maybe it's not years, maybe it's a couple of months that the Europeans are ahead of us. So Melville is going to be here. He is just great. So we're going to have an extensive and important conversation with him. That's coming up as well. All of that straight ahead. But first, the Monica Memo. There are many things that you should know about the neo-communist revolutionaries now running our country, but a key one is that they never rest, they never take a break, they never go on vacation, they're not hanging out at the Grand Canyon or Mallorca or the Caribbean or Switzerland, no, no, they never take a vacation, they never rest on their laurels. They never stop. When they have a setback, they redouble their efforts. When they fail, they pick back up and keep going. They never stop because the revolution never stops. So the Democrat communists spent the entire weekend, a gorgeous August summer weekend where the rest of us were at the pool at the beach, at the lake, hanging out with friends and family, taking a little respite. Not the Democrat communists. They spent this summer weekend ramming through a catastrophic bill that is going to further destroy our economy. It's all intentional, of course. A key part of this revolution, you cannot have communism if you continue to maintain capitalism in some form. So they've got to destroy it by imploding it. That's exactly what's going on here. So these tireless revolutionaries worked all weekend on their Another Nail in America's Coffin Act and got it through. 
Biden and the Democrat communists have inflicted on us in just a short year and a half plus, they've inflicted on us a recession, a 40-year high in, in terms of inflation, sky-high gas prices, a labor crunch, and a supply chain crisis where we still have a baby formula shortage. Now, in the midst of this economic catastrophe that is man-made that they created on purpose, they are inflicting massive new taxes and staggering new spending. If you think the economy is bad now, just wait. If you think inflation is bad now, just wait. It's about to get much, much worse. So as I always say, make your base secure. Do it now. I want to go through some of the horrors that await just as a result of this new spending and tax nightmare. This is on top of the nightmare that we're already experiencing in terms of this out-of-control astronomical inflation. Gas prices have come down a little bit, but they're still, what, two bucks more than they were when he came into office. It's about to get worse, and I want to go through it. The, The first point I want to make here is that the media... The propaganda press, which are just wingmen for the Democrat communists, and they're all on the same side, the propaganda press and the Democrats too, they're all painting this as a big win for Joe Biden, when in fact he had nothing to do with this. This is a Chuck Schumer bill, and he got Manchin on board, so it's a Chuck Schumer, Joe Manchin bill. You know, the carried interest stuff we were talking about last week, that they remove those provisions at the request of Kirsten Cinema. There aren't that many private equity billionaires in Arizona. Okay, guys, this was something that Chuck Schumer wanted, and Chuck Schumer got it. So this is a Chuck Schumer bill to protect those private equity billionaires in New York, not in Arizona. You're going to pay higher taxes, but the private equity billionaires, and I don't begrudge them their money. But the Democrats who are constantly railing against the wealthy and income inequality, they're out there all day long protecting their donors. This is a Chuck Schumer bill, along with Joe Manchin. They both own it. But everybody is out there talking about how this is a big win for Biden and the Democrats. Nonsense. This is a bill of political suicide. The press and the Democrats are trying to spin it as a big win But look, the White House was completely cut out of these negotiations, had nothing to do with it. They were presented with it as a fait accompli at the end. That's it. This bill destroys almost 1 million jobs in America. Our friends over at the Committee to Unleash Prosperity, that's Steve Moore, who joins us here on the show all the time. He's got a senior fellow and University of Chicago professor named Casey Mulligan, who has run the numbers on this bill. You ready for this? Listen to this horror show. The economic outcome of this Another Nail in America's Coffin Act shows American job loss of 900,000 jobs. So about a million jobs we will be down as a result of this bill. Real GDP down, negative 1.2% we're going to lose in GDP. We're already in a recession. The economy is already shrinking. We already have negative GDP growth. And it's going to knock it down another 1.2% according to this estimate. Employee compensation per household per year down about $1,300. 
So on top of raging inflation, you're going to be earning less. National income per household per year down another $1,300 plus. Okay. So unlike many of the lowball estimates that the Democrats have put out, by the way, the CBO supposed to be nonpartisan. Their numbers are always way off, but they haven't even scored this bill. And the Democrats raced it to the floor to uh, vote on it over the weekend and get it to Biden. They don't even know how much it costs because they don't care how much it costs because you know who's going to pay for it? You and me. Unlike many of the lowball estimates that the Democrats have put out on this thing, All of these numbers take into account the combined effects of all of the jazz that they've got in here, including the supersized Obamacare subsidies, which, like the enhanced unemployment benefits, reward people not to work. And these estimates also take into account the bill's tax hikes on businesses, which the Democrats' uh, estimates also don't take into account. So annual incomes are going to be reduced by about $1,300 per household, of which more than 1,200 of it would be reduced income from work. Again, you can see all of these stats at committeetounleashprosperity.com. So if you're interested, go check it out. But the bottom line is you're getting socked. Last week, uh, I reminded you to never trust a Democrat communist, ever. All they do is lie because they must. They cannot tell you the truth because if they did, you'd never vote for them. I know this audience never votes for any Democrat communists, but if word got out, you know, cultural Democrats, people who just don't really pay attention, low information voters, they'd never get a single vote or they'd get few. They get a handful of radicals voting for them and then that's it. And they would lose power and their radical dangerous agenda would not get through. So they all lie. And it comes so easily to them. The lies just roll off their tongues. And because they all have the protection of the press, they get away with the lies. Our side tries to fudge the truth now and again, like all politicians do, and all hell breaks loose. You get like five days of coverage at the Daily Beast and Huffington Post, right? They lie about really big stuff all the time and nothing crickets protection of the press. Just like Joe Manchin, Kirsten Cinema lied through her teeth. We now know that virtually everything Manchin and Cinema said about the Build Back Better bill was all just a misdirection play, a distraction. It was all intentional. It was all about look at look at us shiny objects over here claiming to be fiscally responsible, putting up roadblocks to this six trillion dollar Build Back Better bill. And it was all bullshit. All of that was just a misdirection play. It was all intentional. In the end, they both have signed off on this massive tax and spending bill that is going to do great damage to our economy, which is already on its back legs. Our friends over at Americans for Tax Reform found this tape of Kirsten Sinema back in April voicing her concerns about the bill in a very earnest kind of way. And as we now know, in the end, these weren't concerns at all. Listen to her lies. And I had a couple guiding principles that still guide the work that I am doing today. 
And first and foremost is that I will only support tax policies that promote growth and economic um, stability, particularly during a time of coming through this pandemic, rising inflation, and what we think is a coming recession. So I am unwilling to support any tax policies that would put a break on that type of economic growth or, or stall business and personal growth um, for America's industries. So I retain um, that position. Everyone knows it. Uh, some people aren't happy about it, but that's my position. And so if conversations do start again, which I'm not sure if they will or not, um, I'll be bringing that position back into the negotiations. You all know, the entire country knows that I am opposed to raising the corporate income tax. And so that was true yesterday. It's true today. It turns out that when she said the entire nation knew this to be true, it wasn't. All of that was just a pile of nonsense. She's in a red state. She knows it. She gave everybody a pile of lies. Just like Joe Manchin in a red state in West Virginia, a pile of lies. Getting back to how all of the Democrat communists lie, remember during the campaign when Joe Biden told you he would never raise taxes on the middle class? Not going to happen, as he said. Well, he actually just recently tweeted, quote, when we pass the Inflation Reduction Act, Orwellian to the nth degree, when we pass the Inflation Reduction Act, he tweeted, not a single American in the middle class will pay higher taxes. Well, guys, the Another Nail in America's Coffin Act will increase taxes on you and me and nearly every American. According to analysis by the Congressional Joint Committee on Taxation, nearly all Americans will see increased taxes by next year, which is just a couple of short months away. So save up, again, make your base secure. The average tax rates will increase in nearly all income categories, according to the GCT including lower-income individuals such as those earning less than $10,000. $10,000 a year, if you're making that amount of money, you're still getting hit by this. Oh, but we're only going after millionaires and billionaires. Bull. Federal taxes will increase by $1.9 billion on those earning between fifty dollars and $75,000 and by $10.8 billion on those earning between $100,000 and $200,000 next year. Overall, average tax rates would increase from 20.3 to 20.6% in 2023 alone. That's next year. According to the bill's summary, quote, there are no new taxes on families making $400,000 or less and no new taxes on small businesses. We are closing tax loopholes and enforcing the tax code. Again, complete bullshit. Manchin says, well, it's going to pay down the national debt by spending a trillion dollars more. You figure that out. And lower energy and healthcare costs, which is also nonsense. So everything he has told you here is is just a pack of lies. I mean, he's been talking about, well, we're facing, you know, uh, once in 40 year inflation. And I'm very concerned about the consequences of unprecedented domestic spending. Dude, you've been talking about that and you just voted. You were the key vote to pass another trillion dollars in spending and tax hikes in a recession? Come on, man. This monstrosity adds so much to the national debt and to our annual deficits and is going to be such a burden on average Americans, on you and me. It's just 
It's unbelievable. And then they're talking about, well, we're closing the loopholes on billionaires. Let me tell you something here. Let's get to the IRS part of this bill. This bill creates an army, an army of IRS auditors going after the middle class, the working class, and yes, the poor. This bill assigns $80 billion to balloon the IRS and hire 87,000 more tax staff for the IRS. 87,000 new IRS agents. The $80 billion here, in fact, a former IRS commissioner is on the record saying, I think $80 billion is too much because I, I, I'm not sure what we're going to do, what the IRS would do with all that money. Well, they know what they're going to do with all that money. You're going to empower the most fearsome government agency with all of this money and all of this new personnel. The $80 billion is more than the defense budgets of most developed countries. And the total IRS workforce after they hire these additional almost 90,000 new staff, the total IRS workforce then will be more than the Department of Defense, Department of State, FBI, and Border Patrol combined. The Democrats have said, hey, listen, there's no reason to be fearful. All you have to do is just comply. Make sure your taxes are in tip-top shape. That's it. How's that for threatening? Nice middle-class life you have there. Would be a shame if something happened to it. They sound like organized crime because they are organized crime. If they're telling you just to comply and you'll be fine, okay, Great. Let's start with audits of every single sitting member of Congress. And actually, let's start with those who have been in Congress for like 20 or 30 years. Let's start by auditing them and see how they feel about it. But of course, that won't happen. They're only coming after you and me. Analysis of this says that this could lead to 1 million new audits per year of Americans making under 200,000. So they all say that this is about tax enforcement and going after millionaires and billionaires and tax cheats. Not true. They could do 100% confiscation of all of the wealth of millionaires and billionaires, just confiscate it all, leave them penniless, and it would fund the federal government for like a day. Also, did you know that in America, we have 789 billionaires in this country, 789 billionaires that, that's it. I mean, that's a lot. I would love to be among that group. I'm sure you would too. But that's not enough to fund everything that they are funding? Absolutely not. So no, no, this is not about that. This is about coming after you. The middle class and small businesses are where the real money is. They're coming for you. So enjoy your audit. Make your base secure. Of course, all of this is on top of uh, the Senate Democrats. And by the way, not a single Republican, thank God, voted for this monstrosity. So the Democrats own this. They own it completely. It is political suicide, which is why they are spinning furiously that this is a big win for them. That's nonsense. This is political suicide. But on top of all of this, the Senate Democrats voted for an energy tax against unleashing American energy. 
They voted against border security and to keep dangerous criminals out of jail. That was all part of this this big package in their Votorama over the weekend. Guys, when your enemy tells you who they are, believe them. All right, when we come back, we're going to keep on this uh, theme of the cost of living crisis, the global reset, and the intentional destruction of our economy as well as the Western world, all of our freedoms, and all of our free market capitalism with James Melville, who will be joining us from the UK with his report on what is going on in Europe because they're just a little bit ahead of us here in terms of the Great Reset and the backlash. So you're not going to want to miss this very important conversation coming straight up. Sit tight. Okay, everybody, listen up. We all want to be healthier, right? Well, to get there, we have to have a healthier diet, which is not always easy to do. I can attest to that. You know, that shredded lettuce in a double-double and the fruit filling in a donut are amazing, but they do not count toward the recommended five servings of fruits and vegetables a day. Sorry to be the one to break it to you, but they don't. I don't always eat healthy either, but I will share that the Mayo Clinic says if you want to help prevent heart disease, lower blood pressure, and cholesterol, eat five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. I don't and you probably won't. That's why I take Field of Greens. Unlike other supplements, each fruit and each vegetable in Field of Greens was medically selected by doctors to support your vital organs, like the heart, lungs, kidneys, and the immune system. Flu season is here, and I trust Field of Greens to help me stay healthy. Field of Greens works fast and tastes so good. It's really delicious, guys, and you'll feel better with more energy, and you'll notice your skin, hair, and nails will look healthier, too. I certainly noticed that in me since I started taking Field of Greens. If you don't always eat right and exercise, join me and take Field of Greens. Let me get you started with 15% off your first order. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use promo code MONICA. That's promo code MONICA at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. Well, I am absolutely delighted to welcome a different and very important voice to the show today. James Melville is a communications and sponsorship consultant, as well as a freelance writer, commentator, and host of the Speakeasy podcast. He's also a very keen observer and critic of the incredibly dangerous globalist movement, and that's why I wanted him to join us today. You can follow him on Twitter at James Melville. That's where I discovered him and his brilliance and his insights. So please follow him there as well. James, welcome. Thank you. That's some build-up. I hope I can live up to it today. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> of course, it's wonderful to have you here. And of course, James is joining us from the UK. And as we discussed earlier on the program today, Great Britain, but also a lot of Europe is is a bit ahead of us here in terms of the Great Reset and then the backlash to the Great Reset. And that's why I wanted to have James on. So James, there's a lot to cover with you today, but let's begin with your own intellectual journey, which I find fascinating. You have described yourself, and and I suppose you continue to describe yourself as a classical liberal. Tell us what that's always meant to you. 
Yeah, it's a little bit of a movable feast. I mean, I come traditionally from slightly left of centre, whereby, you know, I've seen what successive governments in the UK have done to forget large percentages of the population, particularly the poor and vulnerable. And I was actually also a big campaigner for Remain during the Brexit referendum. Um, but I suppose everything's changed in the last two years. And, so, you know, my views politically haven't really changed, but I suppose what's happened in the last two years from the pandemic onwards is that a lot of people, maybe, including myself, I suppose we took a lot of our freedoms for granted. And then during the pandemic, when there was a set of rules that didn't make any sense, mandates that were enforced across millions of people, a lot of compliance, we were told to follow the science, even though you know, there's different ways of analysing the science. Uh, personally, I'm a firm believer in following the data rather than the science. And then if the data matches the science, you can have a question about following the science. But mo- when freedoms are up for grabs, and to an extent, with the way they have been over the last two years through the response to the pandemic, which I think was whipped up by a lot of media scaremongering, and then either governments panicking or governments that might have wider agendas from somewhere else. And we face basically now the greatest asset strip and transference of wealth from the poor to the rich, then I'm going to look at freedoms in a different light. And the interesting thing is a lot of people on the left have actually been very, very subservient to this. They've, they've stayed in line with what all the governments are saying in terms of the response. And around about the summer, early summer of 2020, I came out against lockdowns and a lot of the mandates and the rules and regulations. And considering where I was from, a lot of my traditional followers had, a, to put it mildly, a wee bit of a problem with that. <laughs> so, But it's what I believe in. I believe in sort of the core of liberalism, which is you do have to protect those who need it most at all times. But you've also have, got to have governments that work effectively to, to protect those who need it most and also give individuals, communities and enterprise the opportunity to flourish. And all of those things were taken away over the pandemic. And then it changed even more. So first of all, we had just the lockdowns and some of the mandates. Then it moved into vaccine passports. And that was the moment for me where it started looking like a bit of a wider agenda. Because if you look at something like vaccine passports, there's no evidence to suggest that they work. They're counterproductive in a lot of ways. Because considering you can actually still transmit once you have the vaccine, there is no logical argument for vaccine passports. And I found that part of it Absolutely disgraceful. It flew in the face of everything that I believed as an individual in terms of what what a state should be like in terms of the government response, but also stripping away the core freedoms of civil liberties. And we're left with effectively a form of discrimination and ostracization over a medical choice. And I think a lot of people have been on this journey as well. I mean, I think, you know, quite a lot of people from, say, the traditional liberal, the traditional left, have been quite frankly appalled by this response. You know, some of the sort of classic left of centre thinkers, liberals, understand that there's got to be that bedrock of allowing, you know, society to spread its wings, not just in terms of protection from the state in the right ways, but the opportunity also for individuals to flourish. And I think we're at a stage now where there's a lot of asset grabbing going on by technocrats, bad corporates, and also government. And that's shown again by the cost of living crisis that effectively has come off the back of lockdowns. I I would say that lockdowns, you know, the Trojan horse to a lot of the things that are going on right now, it's not necessarily just a cost of living crisis, it's a cost of lockdowns crisis. Yes, 100%. And I'm so glad that you talked about 
Uh, the COVID response, the overall COVID response across the West, and certainly we experienced it here in the United States, as the precipitating event for you to begin to look at the world differently and look at leadership differently and look at look at what the broader agendas were that were being inflicted on, on those of us and what they were really all about, because they weren't about a virus. They weren't about a vaccine necessarily. They were about power and control and a genuine shift. So, you know, I always talk about the Brexit vote in the UK, which happened, I think it was July of 2016. That was really the precursor to what we saw a couple of months later here in the US, which was the astonishing election of Donald Trump that there has been a realignment happening now for many years. And I think the globalists and the ruling classes realized that they were losing control, that their grip on the rest of us was slipping and they leveraged COVID. You know, whether it was an accident or intentional, we don't know that yet, but they certainly leveraged it to grab ever more power and control. And it's actually accelerating the realignment that we saw rather than stop it. Do you agree? I completely agree with that. I mean, I was, again, I mean, I saw globalism sort of up to the pandemic as something that was largely a force for the good. It was set up in a lot of ways through organizations and structures after the Second World War to try and find solutions to solve perpetually warring Western Europe, largely driven by trade, free markets, which I think was a good thing. But I think over time it's become bastardized. You know, I say this as a Remainer. And, and so I think what I've seen over the last two years is that various institutions, whether the WHO, the WEF, you know, even aspects of the UN and the EU, I think their handling of the response, quite frankly, has been appalling in a lot of ways. And so it's opened my eyes in a lot of ways in terms of well, what if we're talking about globalism, what do we really want from that? I mean, I'm a great believer in internationalism. I think there should be those, the right to trade between countries, the right to move between countries. And it's a you know, great thing about travel and discovering different cultures and ideas in different societies. I'm a massive believer in that. But something's happened along the way where it's gone completely out of sync. And so you can still have those values I talked about, but I'm not so keen on the values whereby all these agendas and diktats are being set by institutions that sometimes are just not democratic. I'm a believer in basically individual governments, country by country, should be deciding responses and laws within their own country. Um, and I'm certainly not a believer in sort of agendas that are to be populated over the last few years as a response to, to emergencies and disasters and so on. Now, whenever people point out, for instance, the likes of the WEF, the WHO, they're quite often smeared as a conspiracy theorist. But if, so, if you look back at some of the questions that were raised in 2020 and even 2021. I remember back in 20 and early 21, if I or many others were mentioning something like vaccine passports, we were accused of being conspiracy theorists or COVID idiots. That was the other one. You know, we always get called COVID idiots. And yet a lot of this stuff has actually come true. And so where we're at right now is it feels like mission creep. So we've gone through vaccine passports. We're now in a situation whereby... There's other things that are creeping in. So we're moving towards, for instance, central bank digital currencies and to cashless society. And then there's a whole big debate about, you know, the merits or otherwise of the response to climate change. And then there's obviously, for instance, what's happening with the farmers. You know, I come from a farming background. It's in my blood. I care, but I've still got a lot of friends and family in that sector. And I think what's happened, just as one example, 
and it's happened to the farmers, not just over the last year or so, but for a long time, is they've been disenfranchised. And they are one of the key sources of a functioning society and also a functioning economy. And they're interlinked with another aspect that's been tied up in this awful mess in the last two years, and that's the supply chain crisis as well. So, And yet these issues are really fundamental existential issues. And yet a lot of these issues are not being discussed on the mainstream media. When I mention something like, for instance, the truckers' protest in Canada or the farmers' protest in the Netherlands or indeed something like the WEF or, or the WHO Treaty, a lot of people just don't know about it because it's not on the mainstream media. And I find that very disturbing because these are huge news stories and they have huge repercussions in terms of what is happening within those stories, the reasons behind those stories and the way forward to address those, those issues. So there has been discussion here in the United States. I don't know if if it has um, gotten to the UK or if there's any public discussion of it. You're exactly right. I call them the propaganda press, certainly here in the US. I know the Western, the entire Western world has propaganda press that covers for these people and they're all on the same side of the agenda. So uh, they're wingmen for their global resetters. They're wingmen for the elite ruling class and they just perpetuate an agenda. They're not interested in facts or, or the truth or imparting real information to the general public. Um, But there has been conversation here in the U.S., at least to some degree, about the collusion between the propaganda press and big tech to block these stories because everybody is is on technology, everybody is, is in the flow of information, but big tech controls the flow of information. So it's not just uh, ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN here in the U.S., CNN International, the BBC, ITN in the U.K. They are working hand in glove with big tech, Twitter, Google, uh, uh, you know, uh, Facebook, and all the rest of the big tech channels controlling the flow of information. So when you say the general public is not aware of these mass protests, it's because they're not getting the information and there's no way really for them to access it unless they really make a deliberate effort to do so. Oh, completely. I mean, it's that, you know, traditional legacy media, as I call them won't bite the hand that feeds them. If you look at, for instance, the different components and join the dots on this, you know, the UK media have received, I think it's north of 500 million in government advertising revenue since the start of the pandemic. And that's advertising revenue connected to the response of COVID. So, you know, that's the government, the UK government now become the number one funder of advertising for our so-called legacy traditional media. So they're obviously going to be quite careful about what they report. There's also, in terms of Ofcom, putting rules and regulations down that broadcasters have got to be very careful about the narrative they set in terms of any form of challenge to the government and the responses over the last two years. You've also got in state side as well, in terms of big farmers, it seems to be sponsoring all the media networks and various yes. programs. Yes. So they're going to be careful. And then you've got, you know, the bogeyman himself. You've got, you know, the, the billionaire computer salesman, Bill Gates, who's you know, funding a lot of the media as well, both in the States and also the UK. So you've got, it's all interlinked. So therefore, the whole premise for me going back to liberalism again should be about freedom of expression and speech. But is our freedom of expression and speech really free when our media are literally doing a financial trade-off that's balancing out between government and also corporate? So they're not going to bite the hand that feeds them. And so, and then the other aspect you touched on as well, about suppression with tech companies whereby you're getting individuals who are qualified 
you know, proper thorough experts in a lot of fields, whether it's medicine, whether it's to politics or business or whatever it might be, where they're getting booted off social media because they say something that doesn't fit the, the sort of the narrative that's set um, in terms of the response. And so we're in a situation right now where tech, I think, is a double-edged sword. It has increased the opportunity for messages to get out and have better discourse and wide-ranging opinions. I mean, it's very different to say 60, 70 years ago. We just watched one or two TV channels, and that is it. There's no choice. So there is more choice. But because of that more choice, we're going we're gonna to age now with there's increased suppression as well. And that is an interlinked thing between, you know, finance um, across tech, across legacy media, and it's financed by government and also by, by a lot of big corporations. And so we're in a situation right now where, you know, people are having to be quite careful what they say. And sometimes I think unnecessarily so, because people should have the right to expression and debate and not be suppressed and not be cancelled. In particular, if we're talking about public health, because we cannot just sit here and accept that the government's response over the last two years is always going to be correct, far from it. So therefore, it's actually in the interest of public health to actually have the discussion to make sure that we hold government's feet to the fire and make sure that whatever response they have on something like public health, for instance, it's the right response, but the suppression is there. And so um, that concerns me about how long we go along with that. I mean, what's coming next in terms of suppression? Will it be suppression, for instance, on net zero or suppression about messages about international conflicts? And if, that, if that's the case, that's a, that's a very, very dangerous road to go down. Indeed. And we're going to take a short break here, James. But uh, to pick up on this point, look, it is very, very difficult psychologically, intellectually, emotionally for most Americans and I'm sure most British um, to understand or to process the reality that this is an intentional move to kill off Western freedom, to basically crush human freedom, whether it's economic freedom, political freedom, that this is an intentional act on the part of the ruling class and the globalists. It's very difficult for people to wrap their minds around that. But the more we say it, the more it will get out there. And that's another big reason why I wanted to have you on the show today. James, please sit tight. We're going to have more with James Melville. I want to get more into the globalist agenda, the Great Reset with you on the other side. Okay, you guys, listen up because I want all of you to be as healthy as possible. We are in an existential fight for the country and we need everybody on the top of their game. To get myself healthier, I am taking Field of Greens every day and you should too. Field of Greens is packed with a full spectrum of essential vegetables and fruits, plus science-backed herbs and prebiotics. It's what I need to stay healthy and you should be taking it too. Field of Greens works fast and tastes absolutely delicious. You'll have more energy, you'll look and feel healthier, and it can even help you lose weight. So join me and take Field of Greens too. To help you get started, I got you 15% off your very first order and another 10% off when you subscribe for recurring orders. So visit fieldofgreens.com and use promo code MONICA. That's fieldofgreens.com, promo code MONICA, fieldofgreens, promo code MONICA. We'll be right back.
All right, welcome back. We are rejoined by James Melville. He is a communications and sponsorship consultant, as well as a freelance writer, commentator, and really critical thinker, uh, independent thinker and critic on the increasingly dangerous globalist movement. And like I said, he is sitting in Europe, he's sitting in the UK right now, and they are months, if not perhaps a year ahead of us in terms of the Great Reset and the reaction to it, which as James pointed out in the original uh, segment that we did with him, is not being covered by the mainstream press and really is being locked down by the mainstream press and big tech. So James, you know, we began talking a little bit about globalism um, and I, I'm thinking about how it was sold to us originally in the 1990s and beyond as a net positive and indeed inevitable, right? It was a positive and inevitable development that the horse had already left the barn on global integration and we were all going to be better off for it, right? We were going to have cheaper labor, cheaper goods, and a true global community. And it was all kind of a kumbaya lie, while those in charge amassed more power and more wealth for themselves at the expense of the middle classes and the working classes, and indeed the poor across the West. Yeah, I mean, I think initially it was hitting the working classes and middle classes were being affected effectively right now, the cost of living crisis. But the seeds of this were sown a long time ago, even before the financial um, crash of 2008, 2009. There's been a sort of mission creep of agendas and uh, paragraphs and one of the things I've noticed about all this, and it's it's not just some of the institutions I've talked about, like WEF or WHO. It's also about as Klaus Schwab once famously said, penetrating cabinets around the world with individuals who that sort of push forward that agenda. Now that's not a conspiracy theory for me to say that he actually said it. There's documentation from the WEF about the Great Reset. You know, they were putting Twitter videos together in 2018, I think it was, WEF saying, you know, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. It's, it is out there. But what they're doing with this, and it's one of the oldest top playbook contracts in history of any authoritarian, it's, about, it's for your own good. Um, and it's about peddling a form of virtue. So, Millions of people go along with that, saying they're sort of saying this stuff. It's for our own good. It's to help the planet and so on. So we better be on the side of that and support it and do it in our own communities and as individuals because that's the side of good. But then if you take a step, which if that was the case, then I would go along with that as well. And a few years ago, I did go along with some of that stuff. Now, I'm not saying I've had a big moment of epiphany. I just don't trust some of the messages because I don't think some of these messages are in the public good. If you take a simple example whereby there's been, as I said earlier, the biggest transfer of wealth from working class, middle class to the super rich over the last two years, how is that build back better? It just isn't. What's happening now is the next stage of the cost of living crisis. In the UK, I was reading today, when we get to the autumn, almost 50% of the entire country will be suffering a form or at risk of fuel poverty. That's a terrible place to be, considering the corporates who are behind that, particularly some of the energy companies, fuel companies, are showing record profits. This is, this is the thing. People get blindsided by either media not telling the truth or peddling a particular narrative, and governments also saying that as well, We've been having it for two years on various issues. But it's not for individual and public good. It's for basically an asset grab by governments, technocrats with agendas, and also big corporates. This is a problem that's not a new problem, obviously. It's been going on for decades and decades and decades. But it's more 
enhanced and pronounced, especially over the last two years, considering there's been a level of compliance because of the pandemic that we've never seen before on a global basis. And that concerns me in a couple of aspects about what other things are they going to do? And secondly, what point do we get to when the public go, hang on, this isn't in my best interest. This isn't building back better. I can't, I can't turn my lights on or I can't put fuel in my car or I'm worried about my job. You know, these are the problems that people are facing as a consequence of the collateral damages that have come off the last two years. I mean, the last two years, we're talking about all kinds of things like kids' welfare, mental health problems, business bankruptcies, restrictive trading, um, huge treatment waiting lists, all, because, all connected by the response to the pandemic. How is that in the public good? How is that keeping us safe? How is that building back better? The only winners in this are basically greedy politicians, greedy corporates, and technocrats setting an agenda that isn't a conspiracy theory because it's actually all out there on record as part of the agendas that they've been setting down over the last few years. Yes, and I always point out, James, that you know when people talk back to me on Twitter and say, oh, the Great Reset is a conspiracy theory, I put up the Amazon link to Klaus Schwab's book called the Great Reset. I mean, it's all enemy. The Western Western enemies, whether it's Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, they all put it out. Mao Zedong, they all put out tracks. They all put out their agendas in writing. And the West, you know, we tend to be idealists. We tend to be wishful thinkers. We tend not to act until the enemy and the threat is literally on top of us. But every single time throughout history, our enemies tell us exactly who they are, exactly what they believe and exactly what they intend to do. And we blind ourselves to it, much to our detriment, until we are forced to fight back or our eyes are are opened at a much later point when the catastrophe is much bigger than it would have been if we had taken on the threat earlier on. I want to get into with you, because I know you're very aware of Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum, the WHO, Bill Gates and his foundation, George Soros, that they're all working together and there are other entities doing this as well. But when we talk about the, the intentional collapse of the U.S. economy or the British economy or the, the EU economy, all of these things are working together, but very few people take it to the next logical question, which is to what end? To what end are they doing this? And yes, we can talk about power and control and they are amassing that and the incredible amount of wealth that has tr- been transferred to their hands, but it is essentially a neo-Marxist, a neo-communist agenda where they will sit at the top in what Marx called the vanguard, the ruling class, and then the rest of us are essentially serfs. They have no intention of living by the draconian rules that they're putting into place for all of us, and they haven't throughout the entire pandemic. You saw it with Boris Johnson, who lost his job because of it. Well, they are sitting on top of all of us, James, forcing a CCP-style social credit system on us, restricting our car use, our air travel. Heathrow Airport just got a big directive earlier in the summer. Stop selling airline tickets. It's too much of a mess. They don't want us driving. They don't want us flying. They're restricting our mobility. They are surveilling us at every turn. They want to force us to eat bugs. Meanwhile, they're on private jets. They're in chauffeured combustion engine cars. They're dining on the finest steaks. It is not hypocrisy. Everybody says, oh, it's so hypocritical. It's not hypocrisy. It's hierarchy. 
And their objective yeah. is total global control, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been slow asset grabs for a long time. I mean, it goes back into the 80s and some privatization programs in the UK that sold off all the national assets. But here we are now under the name of the auspices of virtue, where they're hoovering up what's left, in particular, putting a lot of pressure on the farmers to comply, puts them under enormous financial pressure, and then they eventually buckle financially and give up their land. To whom exactly? Well, it be corporations and government. That's just, again, one example. And you've got the, the virtues coming out of political leaders attending COP in Glasgow about Save the Planet, and most of those leaders flew in by, guess what, private jet. Mm -hmm. Members of a royal family telling everyone to know their place and do their bit for climate change, but jumping on the first private jet to whatever conference they're going to, whatever country they're going to. The hypocrisy's there, but it's hypocrisy by design. Um, and so they're not complying. I mean, if you look at, for instance, some of the mandates that was around the whole COVID era where, you know, the British government through Partygate and so much effectively cost the prime minister's job um, through rank hypocrisy as well. So, you know, they, they're not doing it, but they're telling all us plebs to comply. I mean, if they've got the media in their pocket because they're funding them and that media is spreading the message out to get that compliance through to the public, there's still a lot of people complying. But there is obviously the other side of it where various groups are waking up over time. We've seen what happened with the truckers in Canada where they had enough six months ago. wasn't particularly well reported on, but it was happening. Combined with the Dutch farmers, which now spread into Germany and Italy, there's aspects of that in Canada now and Australia, and in the Netherlands, we get huge public support for this. But I can't remember seeing anything in the British media about this. It's a massive story because of the two aspects to it. It's about people power. But secondly, the Netherlands is one of the top supplying countries of agricultural products in the world. You know, farmers do have quite a lot of skin in the game on this issue in terms of the, the Dutch economy. And they're putting a lot of pressure because they, they sense their livelihoods are up for grabs and they've got every right to do what they're doing. So I think people are waking up despite the sort of suppression within tech and media, but it's still not enough. I think the cost of living crisis will wake even more people up. I think when people can't, they can't fuel their, their homes or put fuel in the, car, in the car, there's a point where people start going from fear, which is a lot, you know, key emotion of the last two years, towards anger and wanting something done. We've got a ludicrous situation in the UK right now where there's a leadership contest for a new prime minister the Prime Minister and the Chancellor are on their holidays. You've also got Parliament shut under recess for, what, well, till the autumn. Meanwhile, we've got a cost of living crisis where millions and millions of people are facing poverty. Yet the government isn't functioning at all, nor is Parliament. And if that, that should wake people up. People go, why am I going to be paying all this extra stuff in terms of fuel and food, energy? Yet our Parliament and our politicians aren't there to try and come up with a response. And so... I think slowly but surely more and more people are waking up. The situation is going to get a lot worse. I think it is all coordinated as well. I think, this, I think one of the key aspects that underpins all of this is it's not even the case of following the science. You know, it's follow the money. Mm -hmm. And the fiat currency model, I think, in a lot of ways, is a busted flush. It has been since 2008, 2009. And they're trying to clear the decks and get ownership of that through central banking digital currencies. And that is a conduit and a gateway to a form of the social credit system. And that, I think, for everyone, should be terrifying. Yes. I know the Japanese back from that a little bit, and they've said they're not going to happen because the Japanese economy is a bit different. There's a lot more cash in there, so sort of economic infrastructures and circular economies. 
But again, people need to wake up to this. Again, most people, they won't even know what a central banking digital currency is. The potential of that for absolute control by governments and corporates is huge because if they effectively control through digitalization our purchasing power or our ability to you know spend in some way based on, then they can bolt whole other things onto it in terms of you well, you can only spend this if you do something else that we tell you to do you're not at that point yet but you can see that the infrastructure is being built to create that risk that that could happen at some point and if we get to central banking digital currencies under the auspice of control by government, that is a that is a dangerous place for um, so-called free societies to exist. Yes, and th- those free societies will no longer exist because we'll all be under the jackboot of the ruling yeah. class and the, the globalists. I mean, look at what happened to the poor truckers in Canada. Uh, the Trudeau tyranny just locked down their bank accounts. They, they weren't able to access their own money. They couldn't go to an ATM and pull out 100 bucks. That That is the future. Okay, and it is a CCP-style social credit system, and it's happening in every direction. It's it's in every nook and cranny of Western society and culture and life now. And to your point, they are building the infrastructure for this, and this should terrify everybody. Do you get a sense, because you have been really covering the farmers' protests across Europe, do you get a sense, James, that a more widespread revolt is brewing? And and to, to tease that out further, that that's exactly what the globalists want because it'll give them a chance to really crack down on us. You know, I keep saying here in the U.S., but Canada and across the board, they, they are pushing us and pushing us and pushing us with ever more spending and here in the U.S. spending and taxes and restrictions. And it's just a never ending process. And I get the sense that they almost want the farmers revolt and they want it to even escalate because they want a pretext to crack down. Well, I mean, Netherlands is a good example of this because because Netherlands' economy is so dependent on the, the exporting. You know, the Netherlands has got a huge exporting economy on agriculture products. And if the farmers are blockading that, that's going to have a massive knock-on effect, not just to the Dutch economy, but also supply chains around the world because Netherlands is such a massive um, contributor to that. So there is dangers with that as well. And so if you put it all together, it's all coming different angles, but under mission groups. So they're not landing at all at the same time. They're doing it sort of incremental, sort of bite-sized chunks to, to put it under the radar so people won't notice. But, you know, I keep saying this phrase that, you know, once you see it, you can't unsee it. And then people should start, once they open their eyes, start joining the dots. Because, you know, if you end up having restrictions and that causes an effect with supply chains, and then supply chains have an effect in terms of, um, inflation, another aspect that hasn't been covered widely is the amount of money, printed money that's come into the economy. So if you take the UK, 500 billion of quantitative easing has been um, lobbed into the UK economy over the last two years. Now, that's not sustainable. It's papering over the cracks, but it's also by the very nature of printing money, it devalues currency. So that's a contributing factor to inflation as well. And a response is to raise interest rates in the UK. Normally, you would do something like that to curb inflation if inflation is large to do with consumer spending. It is to a degree because it's forced consumer spending because the areas that are spiking in price are largely essential goods like fuel and food. This inflation is, is a price spike by corporates who are showing record profits on, on utilities um, that individuals have to purchase to function in society. Now, the basics like fuel and food and 
and heating homes, turning the lights on. Um, so yes, it is all interlinked, and sort of pushing people into zero-sum game choices about what they spend their money on. Um, protests that you know possibly make the problem worse in a lot of ways, like in the Netherlands. But you know, I commend what the the Dutch are doing there because they're trying to hold the Dutch feet to the fire. But I wouldn't think everything is lost. You know, I think more and more people are waking up to this, but it's still, and it, there will be, you know, moments of epiphany and penny drop moments where large sects of society go, our government isn't working for us. You know, we need to do something different. But if you look in the UK, the next elections, what, two years' time, you've got a government that's basically a shambles. You know, they're not responding to anything particularly well. They're having a leadership contest. And you've got a weak opposition with an uncharismatic leader of the opposition, Keir Starmer. So even the alternative isn't particularly great. It feels to me that there needs to be some sort of global movement. That is not necessarily a political party, but some movement that is peaceful, um, well-researched, communicates brilliantly and just fundamentally professional that allows groups, communities to bind together to try and get their message across. If you do that in huge numbers, then you can create change. I mean, there's movements all over the place but they're all sort of by issue by issue basis, and some of them are quite disparate and disjointed. What we need is a sort of collective movement that, that puts a lot of pressure on um, our governments. I mean, there needs to be something like that because, again, it comes back to the media, where the media are effectively in the pockets of the corporations and the governments who are pushing, pushing these agendas. Yes, and, you know, I, I, I love that you are relatively optimistic, James, in the sense that more and more people are waking up to this. The, the powers that be control everything. They control every lever of power. So when those of us who are like-minded begin to come together, like in the U.S. with the Tea Party movement in 2007, 2008, 2010, um, that got smeared and crushed. Or the Make America Great Again movement, the America First movement, you know, separate and distinct from Donald Trump, but then the powers that be come in and smear and crush that as well. Look at the Canadian truckers. Look at what's going on with the farmers. So we really do, I agree with you, I think we need a global mobilization of freedom-loving individuals, whether you're on the right, left, or center, to come together here and under some sort of organized rubric. And I hope that we can make that happen. Maybe, James, you and I need to run that that effort. What do you think? <laughs> you up <I> for that? <laughs> you touched on it earlier. We need to be bipartisan as well. It's very easy. I say this to someone slightly left of center, where I get accused of being some sort of right-wing grifter, which is hilarious. I always say to the left, you say that, I said, I haven't left the left. It's just the left has left me. They've kind of gone down a, a sort of bizarre route of focusing on issues that really the, the left need to be thinking about what the left's there for and that's for working people and helping those who need it most and that seems to be sort of diluted somewhat and actually paradoxically the left seem to be propping up you know bad corporations and, and governments who really do not have their best interests at heart it's like they've been conned and duped so i think if there's any global movement, it has to be about people from all sides of the political uh, fence but i think the political sort of ideological divide lines have changed now it's not necessarily just about that versus right it's more about sort of freedom, liberalism, libertarianism versus authoritarianism. Yes. And I'm a believer, basically, that you can only get a happy, functioning society by obviously protecting those who need it most. But part of that protection is about freedom. Freedom allows the individual to thrive. I'm not saying freedom as in, you know, devil may care, I'll just do as I please. Far from it. The state and law have to be there to have structure society. You know, you've got to still have some rules, but you've got to enable individuals 
to flourish. If they've got a good idea, they can follow through on that idea. If they want to basically celebrate, you know, a good social life or travel or, you know, having the function form of loads of interests or setting up a business, whatever it might be, it becomes relatively straightforward for them to do that. And the moment there's a lot of that, that is being suppressed. And well, we've got more freedoms than we had, say, you know, a couple of years ago, it's still not quite there. And, you know, post lockdown here in the UK, it seems to be that so underneath the surface, there's a lot of legislation that's going through that will, at future dates, suppress a lot of freedoms again. So I think that's where the debate is. It's about, you know, it's a balancing. There's some people who want the state to look after them. That's just the way it is. And part of that's to brainwashing someone, it's just to their mentality. But I've said this right throughout the crisis over the last couple of years. There's four different types of communities of people in this. There's people who've been brainwashed and are scared. And that's largely because of media bombast over two years there's people who secretly want this to happen all of this there's people like us going now this is not acceptable and we need to hold a line here and protect our freedoms not just for ourselves but for future generation our children and so on but the community that we need to sort of address and try and communicate well to is the, the largest community the silent majority of people who know in their hearts that a lot of this is wrong it disturbs them but they don't want to make a fuss. They don't want to get in trouble. And that's a community whereby I think there's millions of people. That, you know, they know a lot of the responses to COVID were wrong. They know a lot of what's happening right now is unacceptable. We've got bad governments and bad agendas, but they, ju- they just don't want to quite put their head above the parapet. They're the ones that we shouldn't scream at. We should never scream at someone to try and say, you're right, I'm right, you're wrong. But just to work with them and listen to their concerns. And I think the cost of living crisis is a really good way of getting people on board in a horrible, difficult time because we are all in that particular crisis together. The cost of living crisis, there's no divide lines about Brexit or lockdowns or anything like that. The majority of people are feeling it financially. And so when we go, well, okay, why is this happening? Let's have a discussion about this. What's happening with you? What do you think about what the government are doing here? What solutions are out there to get through this? So I think the cost of living crisis, where it's going to be a terrible period for so many people, especially over the next six months, nine months, it might be a way of bringing more people on board to say, effectively, enough is enough. We need to put a lot of pressure on our governments to make sure that all of this stuff doesn't happen again. Yes, and I agree with you. And I've been making this point on this show and television and radio anywhere I can, which is that the Democrats in the United States have always talked a good game about wanting to champion the middle class, the working class and the poor. And yet they are instituting policies, including skyrocketing inflation here in the U.S. and and across the West, but here in the U.S. that impact those classes, those groups of people the most. And yet there's not a care in the world for these people. It's all about slamming into place this radical neo-communist agenda, which is the overarching objective for all of these people. James, we're going to leave it there. I hope you will come back um, because I found this conversation fascinating and I could go another half an hour or an hour with you. So I hope you will come back. I hope you realize you are now my UK correspondent, my European correspondent. Are you cool with that? I'm okay with that. I can, I can, I can deal with that. I'd be delighted to come back at some point. Well, wonderful. I cannot thank you enough for being here today uh, with your most thoughtful analysis, which in this day and age is also very courageous. So please keep up the fight on your side of the pond and we will do the same here. Okay. Thank you. A pleasure. James Melville. Follow him on Twitter at James Melville. I'm Monica Crowley. Back in a flash.
All right, first day of the week, time now to dip into the Monday email bag. If you want to shoot me an email, send one to me, Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. That's Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. Patrick writes, Monica, it seems foolish to expect Trump to win in 2024, knowing that we didn't solve the fraud problem. Biden was probably the weakest opponent ever in the history of elections, and somehow he won? Trump is the first incumbent president to receive more votes in his second term and still lose. Not possible. Biden received more votes than Obama? Not possible. The media keeps saying that there wasn't enough fraud to make a difference, but we know that over 5 million vote ballots were illegally harvested, and no one is allowed to investigate. And how can mail-in ballots be unfolded? If Americans feel cheated, they won't vote. This is the most important issue in our country. January 6th is being manipulated to intimidate freedom-loving Americans who want fair elections. The FBI created a scam, infiltrate the crowd, and coerce them and trick them to enter the Capitol so that Pence would not consider Ted Cruz's protest. The Republicans are cowards and are not willing to fight against the Marxist extremists who hate democracy. Well, this is a very powerful note. Patrick, thank you. This is why we've just spent a good deal of time on this podcast discussing 2020 and what went down. We just went through all of the facts and evidence that we have so far, not rumor or innuendo, but actual facts and things that are part of the public record. So investigations continue and states are taking action to stop this from happening again, as we just heard last week from Molly Hemingway. But we've also heard from her that the Biden administration, the federal government, is now throwing its weight behind doing the Mark Zuckerberg manipulations without Mark Zuckerberg. It's totally unconstitutional. So as Molly indicated, it's being challenged in the courts where it will be tossed, we hope, in time for the midterms. But our side, and Patrick, this is to your point, our side is always playing catch-up. We're always one election cycle behind, right? It's infuriating. The other side is doing unconstitutional things because they are trying to destroy the Constitution, period. It's not that hard. It's not that complicated. Not a giant mystery here. So we all need to get to work at the local level to make sure these elections are secure. Seriously, we all need to get out into the field here in Arizona last week's primary, there were mail-in Dropbox watch parties where people just set up lawn chairs around the drop boxes and just watched them for days on end. And they brought wine and beer and hung out and had a good time, brought in some food. But that's the way it's done. That is exactly what we need to do. We need to take control of this thing away from the left and let them know that we've got eyes on all of these elections. And Patrick, you're right. We really can't count on the Republican powers that be. We've got to do this ourselves. All right, Patrick, thank you very much. If you want to send me an email, Podcast at gmail.com. That's going to do it for me for today. Big shows coming up on Wednesday and Friday this week. So enjoy the start to your week, and I will see you right back here on Friday. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. 
No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.